Welcome to Book Delight with Chrissy Wright, the podcast where readers can be all kinds of ways and books really are magic. I'm your host, Chrissy Wright. I'm an elementary teacher librarian in the Pacific Northwest. On this show, I aim to connect you and the kids in your life to more books you love. If the idea of blowing up your kidlit TBR appeals to you, you're in the right place. This is the final episode for the month of October, so today I'm sharing a Reading Raves episode where I debrief my favorite kidlet I read this month. I read a whopping 29 books in the month of October, which is pretty high for me. Granted, I was reading a lot of short chapter books for the podcast this month, so the number sounds a little higher than perhaps the total page count reflects. Of the 29 books I read this month, today I'm sharing 10 that I especially loved and that feel like standouts when I look back at my reading month. Of today's 10 books, I'm sharing four chapter books, three graphic novels, one middle grade, and two audiobooks. Let's kick it off with chapter books. Since I have already discussed many of my chapter book reads at length in other episodes this month, For today, I'll just quickly name the ones I read this month that have emerged as real favorites. I'll give you a quick log line along with the episode number you can go back to and listen for my full review. As it turns out, my fresh read favorites were all actually featured in the same episode, episode 14, which was a book list episode of chapter books to read aloud. Those favorites are, first... The Apartment House on Poppy Hill by Nina LaCour. This one packs Eloise vibes in a contemporary San Francisco story with great incidental LGBTQ representation. Second, I loved Pets Rule, My Kingdom of Darkness by Susan Tan. This one was a laugh-out-loud animal revenge story where an evil chihuahua turns out to be the tenderest and most loyal companion of all. Third, I loved The Story of Gumluck the Wizard by Adam Rex. This one has a quirky underdog wizard with an oddball cast of characters, including a hair-haunting ghost and an old lady raven with so much voice. I put this one straight into the hands of a first grade teacher at my school who is now reading aloud with her class to magnificent effect. The fourth chapter book that I loved this month was The Skull by John Clausen. On The Skull particularly, I want to share a little bit of an update. When this book came out back in July, I knew immediately I wanted to read it aloud to my fourth and fifth graders the week before Halloween. Well, the week finally came, and let me tell you, it was fabulous. I read all 101 pages of that baby eight times in one week for over 800 pages of the skull, and I love it now even more than ever. Should I get an Otilla tattoo at this point? Maybe. A few of my more unruly fifth grade classes were pin drop quiet transfixed by this story. 
Their predictions were working triple time as they sank into the creepy mood and wondered which corner of the story the terror would come from. Was it the masks, the pit, the dungeon, the skull himself? All the while unknowing that the terror and the beauty and the power would come in part from protagonist Tilla herself. I am more convinced now than ever that I want this book to win a Newbery because the prose is so taut and so intentional. I could feel it with every repeated read from the repetition of phrases like, all right, when things in the story feel not at all actually all right, to the parallel framing between the skulls, plight, and Otillas, to that delicious chase scene where the text and pictures marry perfectly with the refrain of, give me that skull, I want that skull. I saw online somewhere that Clausen recommended that you read aloud with a very quiet, subdued tone, leaving the tension all to the kids' inference, right up until you hit that chasing, and boy howdy, was this read-aloud approach a treat. If you haven't read The Skull yet, please, 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 at long last, take my word. That was The Skull by John Clausen. Next up, I want to tell you about some graphic novels. Buckle up because I think the graphics are the real best in show of my reading life this month. You will likely be seeing all three of these on my year-end favorite graphics list. So let's jump straight into the good stuff. The first book that I'm going to tell you about is now tied with The Skull as my favorite kids book of 2023. No pressure. The book is The Magicians by Blex Belex. All one word. Now, let me set this one up with how I discovered it. I was visiting my beloved local indie bookstore, Island Books, and Lillian, their kids buyer, who knows my propensity for weird, dark, funny kid lit, asked, do you want to see a book that is perplexing and I don't quite know what to think of? Um, yes, Lillian. Yes, I did. She put the magicians in my hands and immediately I started to have questions. It's this large, trim, soft cover book. It's kind of the size of a magazine, but the thickness of a novel. Its pages are folded with a crease on the outer edge of each page, which is just weird and different with these silkscreen looking prints on both sides of the folded page. The palette of the art is this trio of three Pantone colors in silkscreen print style that are kind of cleverly layered for a vintage circus feel. Author Blex Flex hand-selected the materials from the binding with French flaps to the bronze metallic end papers to the texture of the paper itself that evokes the physicality of a comic book. It is sold shrink-wrapped, which is a usual alarm bell of something that's for grown-ups and detached from kid taste, and it's $35, two things that would usually make me roll my eyes and plunk it back on the shelf. But as I flipped through, I was so intrigued. It's kind of like a graphic novel with one panel per page, but no speech bubbles. 
Each page has a panel taking up most of the page and bold all caps text captioning the panel at the bottom of the page. I read the first few pages in the store and I wanted to devour the whole thing immediately because of the mysterious tone and story elements combined with the flabbergasting features of the book as a physical object. Is it an art book, a graphic novel, a picture book? Kind of? Yes to all three, making it its own truly unique thing. The book is translated from French, and the darker sensibility of some other French children's books really carries through with this one. At its heart, this is a heart-pumping, shape-shifting fantasy adventure. In the story, three magicians, an elephant, a blackbird, and a girl, emerge only to be pursued by a huntress with a magical lion dragon who are determined to capture the magicians and extinguish magic from the earth. It is part philosophy, part ode to creativity and imagination, and total action-packed page-turner. The American edition is blurbed by Brian Selznick, which kind of gives you a sense of the artistic accomplishment of the work. If you are at all intrigued by anything I have said here, I think The Magicians is absolutely worth your exploration. It is one of the most satisfying graphic works I have read this year and is an absolute favorite of the year for me. That was The Magicians by Blex Blex. Okay, next treat in the graphic novel section is The First Cat in Space and the Soup of Doom by Mac Barnett and Sean Harris. This is the second book in the First Cat in Space Ate Pizza series, which you likely know of from its COVID lockdown live cartoon fame. If not, I suggest you visit thefirstcatinspace.com where you can tidily binge the cartoon episodes and get a sense of Mac and Sean's wacky storytelling sensibility here. So I actually read this new installment three times this month. Once on my own the day it came out, once as a read aloud with my first grade son, which was so much fun, and then again as an audiobook with my three kids, and ugh, I just love it so much. Like, maybe even more than the first one? Now, nothing can truly compete with the first First Cat in Space because of just the oddball ingenuity of the whole thing, combined with everyone's shared experience of the live cartoon. But... I love the Moon Queen, and she is firmly centered in this installment. The plotting in this one is kind of space opera meets whodunit. The queen has been poisoned via soup and is on a quest to obtain the antidote and identify the poisoner. Two things I especially loved in this one are a piano-playing bunny as perhaps the cutest passive plot device in all of Kidlet, with a really clever pump-and-fake execution of reader inferencing gone wrong, and also the introduction of Beatrice, our new favorite usurping geriatric. I had the great pleasure of attending the first Cat in Space live at the Seattle stop of their tour, 
and have been joyfully wearing my Laws t-shirt at least once a week since because it just unlocks a little piece of the giddy storytelling bliss of both the book and its creators. Now, I'm just waiting on some Obelis merch. That's one of Laws the Robot's taglines. That was The First Cat in Space and the Soup of Doom by Mac Barnett and Sean Harris. The third graphic novel I want to tell you about today that I loved this month was I Am a Dinosaur by Jared Rossello. This is the first in a planned Super Magic Boy series from Jared, who you might recognize as the creator of the Red Panda and Moon Bear graphic novel series as well. I Am a Dinosaur is a short, funny graphic novel that might be described by some as an early reader because of its larger print and simpler panel layout. You know I hate that categorization. You know, I hate that categorization because it labels the reader, not the text, but I mention it here to give you a clear sense of the lighter text density and the degree of complexity. It is raucous and quick and will be satisfying to readers across elementary school ages. I can see my readers from first grade all the way up through fifth grade having a whole heck of a lot of fun with this one. In this story, protagonist Hugo can shapeshift, in this case, into a dinosaur, just like his best friend, Dino. The story is a destructive romp where the two wreak destruction on, well, pretty much everything. Readers who take pleasure in seeing characters on the page do things the reader isn't allowed to do in real life, but might actually really kind of want to, will love this one. It is giddy and chaotic and also, surprisingly, sweet. That was I Am a Dinosaur by Jared Rossello. Okay, in middle grade, I have a gem for you today. The middle grade that blew my socks off this month was The Widely Unknown Myth of Apple and Dorothy by Corey Ann Haydu. Do you want to roll around in the feeling of the scene in the Barbie movie where she decides to become fully human, but make it a Greek mythology fic? Well, here you go. This story imagines a world where the current day earth-dwelling descendants of Greek gods have been given an ultimatum, come to Olympus and live as a god forever, or stay on earth as human, but die. Now, on that description alone, this is a book I would never read. I have no real interest in Greek mythology. But, baited with the Barbie philosophical quandary of it all, combined with always being on the lookout for more books for the mythology-obsessed students in my library, I decided to preview this one. Color me surprised then when I found myself tearing up in the coffee shop by page 20 at 7 a.m. on a Sunday because of the gentle and wrenching way that author Haydu layers protagonist Dorothy's grief at the loss of her mother with this 
tender glimpse of their relationship gone by, and a really sincere wrestling with questions of friendship and one's place in the world. This book is somehow mean girls and bread baking and annoying dads and sneaky but gentle and heartwarming philosophical treatise. One thing I especially loved about this one is its reclaiming of the myth of Pandora, questioning our cultural norms of female blame and guilt, and embracing instead a vision for hope and creativity. Reading experiences like this, when a book from a genre you would usually cast aside end up totally transfixing and transforming you, are some of my very favorite, and so you will see this book on my favorites of the year. If you read and loved the young adult book, Lovely War by Julie Berry, you should pay particular attention to this one. My only real complaint here is the long and awkward title that is a little hard to remember, giving me just a moment of pause every time I try to rave about it to someone. That was The Widely Unknown Myth of Apple and Dorothy by Corey Ann Haydew. Okay, let's close it out with some audiobooks. Both of these are middle grade, but I wanted to recommend them specifically in the context of audiobooks because I read both in that format and found the audio productions especially enjoyable. So the first audiobook that I loved this month was The Puppets of Spellhorst by Kate DiCamillo. Now, I have a perhaps shocking confession. I am not a Kate DiCamillo stan. I think some of her books miss the mark on kid appeal and accessibility and cross over into overly didactic territory. That said, a few of her books are a home run for me. So, this tension kind of fascinates me, and a new DeCamillo is something I will always take a look at, but not without skepticism. Now, when Libro FM offered Spellhorst as a free advanced listening copy for educators, and I saw that it clocks in at just an hour and 39 minutes, it was the perfect time and the perfect way for me to give it a try. I was then thrilled to discover that it is narrated by Alan Cordner, a prolific and masterful audio narrator who I first fell in love with for his reading of Lovely War by Julie Berry, which I just mentioned. His reading of this book made me adore the puppets of Spellhorst in a way I'm not sure that I would have on the page. This is the first in a planned trio of novellas, each an original fairy tale of sorts. This one tells the story of five puppets, a king, a wolf, a girl, a boy, and an owl, as they pass from the hands of a sea captain, ultimately into the possession of two little girls. Sometimes I think DeCamillo tries too hard to achieve a timeless tone in her prose, but I must begrudgingly admit that in this case, she really carries it off. 
This story relies deeply on the tradition of oral storytelling, and I would strongly recommend it as either a read-aloud or an audiobook. I think only a small subset of kid readers will enjoy it on the page as their first read, though many who first experience it with their ears will want to then reread with their eyes. And really, do the audio, because Alan Cordner. Swoon. That was The Puppets of Spellhorst by Kate DeCamillo. Okay, the last book that I want to share with you today, also experienced on audio, is The Last Bear by Hannah Gold. This 2021 release from British author Hannah Gold won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize and is a huge bestseller in the UK. It's been on my radar for a while and a Libby serendipity moment put it into my family's audio queue at just the right moment. Fans of Wild Oak by C.C. Harrington take note, this one is for you. The publisher also comps this to Pax and A Wolf Called Wander. And I agree that your animal-loving, earth-defending fans of those two will be equally at home here. In this story, April and her dad are sent to live on Bear Island, a research outpost for her dad's work where they will be the only human inhabitants. The thing about Bear Island is... Because of polar ice melting, there are no bears left, or so April has been told. But one night, April glimpses what she is sure must be a bear, one who is hungry and lost and far from home, a little like April. Read to join April on her quest to return that last bear to his rightful home with the ups and downs of grief and her relationship with her dad along the way. Now, if you can't suspend disbelief enough to entertain the notion of a girl and a polar bear being friends safely, then skip this one. But if you can, and you are intrigued by a survival and animal friendship story at the edge of the world, you will be immensely satisfied by The Last Bear. Particularly lovely on audio. Good news for us, the follow-up, Finding Bear, is now out in the UK and will be releasing in the US in February 2024. All three of my kids in first, fourth, and fifth grades loved this one and are eagerly awaiting the next installment. As am I. That was The Last Bear by Hannah Gold. That concludes today's Reading Raves episode. Come back and listen next week to kick off our November theme. We are doing nonfiction November, and we will be diving into everything from the five kinds of nonfiction to some of my favorite nonfiction picture books to read aloud and more. If you liked what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show and want to help spread the word, I would love it if you could share the show with a kidlit loving friend or share it on social media and tag me so we can connect. If you want more book delight in your life from me, Chrissy, 
The best place to connect with me is on Instagram at Library Chrissy. You can also follow the show at Book Delight Pod and subscribe to my Kidlit newsletter by visiting librarychrissy.substack.com. The October issue of my newsletter just released, so now is a great time to check it out and to subscribe so you can get it straight to your inbox next month. As always, thank you for listening and happy reading.